Hello, this is Ananda Murray Das, and you're listening to Sankirtan On, where by giving we grow. Hello, my name is Ananda Murari. This is Sankirtan On. Today, I have a very special guest with me, His Grace Devamadava Prabhu, uh, a dear friend of mine, as well as temp- uh, community director out at the Harmony Collective in Ypsilanti, Michigan. And uh, I'm very happy to have you with me today, Prabhu. Very happy to be here. I'm not nearly as special as the other special guests that have been on, but it's a joy to be here with my friend. Um, and thank you for making the time because I know a lot's, a lot's going on around this time of year, uh, specifically around <laughs> this specific Nobody year. knew any of it was going to be going on, but it, it's happening. <laughs> it's going on, and, uh, and so things are happening. So I wanted to just kind of, for those that may not know you, um, just kind of you can maybe tell a little bit of who you are and how you ended up in Ypsilanti, Michigan at the Hominy Collective. <laughs> Uh, some some kind of brief introduction. Sure. Um, I mean, I'm a I'm a product of Mahaprabhu's mercy through and through uh, that I can sit here with you and um, be counted as a special guest in a place where devotees like Vaishya Shaker Prabhu and Mother Nidra and others in the future will come on. Um, I met the devotees in 2010, and that was going door to door in the city of Detroit. I was selling books, um, but they weren't Prabhupada's books yet. <laughs> so the joke is that uh, I bought the book instead of getting sold one. I knocked on the temple president's door. His name is, um, at the time, it was Bharat. And I met his wife first, um, and I was selling children's books. And so she said, please come back when my husband's home, and maybe we can take a look at them for our kids. So I did that, and um, he sat down and instead gave me signs of self-realization. And we had a beautiful hour-long conversation. And at that point in my life, I was practically homeless and had no friends, no family nearby, <laughs> uh, no money to speak of. And so when he invited me to a mansion to have a free vegetarian feast on a Sunday, I was like, sold, <laughs> happy to go. <laughs> but you know how you, you like invite somebody and you really want them to come to the temple. So you like invite them nine times and you like get their cell phone number and you like, you know, you make them sign a contract that they're going to. <laughs> <laughs> And so this this Prabhu was doing it, and he was doing it so sweetly, but he didn't need to do it with me because I was so desperate. I was just ready to do anything. And uh, I showed up on Sunday, and I had already been reading Prabhupada's book, Science of Self-Realization, and that had already answered for me the question that was in my heart, which was, why was I in Detroit in the first place? Because I didn't grow up there. I had no family, no friends, but something had pulled me there. And so when I... I had Prabhupada's book in my hand and began reading it. I understood, yeah, this is why my heart had brought me here. And when I went to the temple, that was it. I was sold out um, even before taking the prasadam, but especially after. So now almost 10 years later, this summer, it will be this July, it will be 10 years since I met the devotees. We've been trying to stay close ever since. And we started our community out in the Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti area in 2012. Some close friends, and now we have a few more friends. You're certainly one of them. So we're uh, we're really privileged to be able to try to do something. Wow, and and there it's it's the community in in Ypsilanti, the Harmony Collective is it's expanding and and going through a lot of a lot of changes recently. Um, what what have been some of the projects that you've been working on? I mean, most recently, just in general, kind of an overview of some of the projects that are going on out there. Hmm. Um, 
The two big excitements right now are one, Goloka Prema Dam, which is our uh, farm, not farm project. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're, we're trying, myself included, because it just comes out. We call it the farm. It's a 10-acre property. There's three, excuse me now, four cows there and um, a four-bedroom house where we have some uh, older brahmacharis living. And that will be the the um, residential purpose for that space is to have older devotees who don't need to be dealing with the new bhakta vibe and the, the preaching center vibe, you know, the day-to-day um, logistics that come with that. And they just want to focus on their sadhana and their long-term service. That'll be a living space for them. And otherwise, it's 10 acres we're calling a kind of eco model that we can demonstrate on a small, scalable, manageable level what the complete expression of a Krishna conscious culture would really look like in terms of the relationship to the cows, the relationship to the land, and also the relationship to each other, that everybody's practically invested in their um, day-to-day lives in an interdependent kind of way, not just that we show up on Sundays and the kind of Haribo culture that many devotees experience and are dissatisfied by, but creating an environment where we can really invest in each other's everyday experience. Um, We hope to be able to bring a school from that space soon and overall hope that it's a kind of testing ground for those of us that would like to live in a semi-rural community long term and really establish our families there so we're able to get our hands dirty and our feet wet in this space and if for whatever reason we can't handle it it's only 10 acres it's not these kind of larger um, quagmire properties that um, other devotees have stepped into at other times in the movement and found to be way too much. And then, as we know, a lot of loss of faith and enthusiasm happens when those projects mm-hmm. fall through. So it's just 10 acres. It's a half hour away from our main two properties in Ypsilanti and the kind of where all the devotees are at. So right now we're finding it really manageable and kindly Krishna through the other big project that we have going on right now, which is the, um, the next generation professional mm-hmm incubator um all of those words are there because we just can't call it uh, an ashram <laughs> because yeah. uh, it's a space it's a space that we're trying to create to encourage devotees especially that were born in the movement or devotees that have been around for a little while um but still younger and enthusiastic wanting to live a mission-based lifestyle we mm-hmm. want to have an ashram space for them where they can develop their talents and aptitudes in a a kind of down-to-earth way where they're seeing long-term, how can I have some mission-based income? How can I settle myself into the Grihasta Ashram, which is likely where most will be um, spending the majority of their Krishna conscious life or their life, even if it's not Krishna conscious. So having a space where they can have the honest discussions that are needed for that to really happen, develop Mm -hmm. mission-based income, and at the same time understand what can we do for the mission? What can we do to give back what Prabhupada and, and his followers have given us? So mm. one young man, Dylan, has come forward to take over the farm space. Um, he's already got a great plan, very thorough approach for um, an agricultural garden and um, commercial agricultural garden. Of course, we have the cows. And then we have a few other projects um, that other devotees, we have a, a restaurant in the area, we have a corporate preaching outlet, Ananta, something that um, you and I are, are developing together also. Um, so these different kind of professional spheres where Krishna consciousness is happening in our community, and we mm-hmm. feel like that's a unique offering that we can give the youth that that everyday experience that they're kind of looking for, separate yeah. from the, the formal temple atmosphere. Mm. That's and, and you recently, this next generation 
incubator, uh, pr- professional incubator that you mentioned. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's you, a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you recently, you recently, you were telling me you spoke, you gave a presentation on this at the ILS that just recently happened in Mayapur. What yeah, was we the, we what spoke was the experience there. Um, I was asked to speak at the ILS about kind of youth in general. Um, we've been over the last year and a half, two years, we've been developing and sharing a model of something called the Next Generation Council, which is hopefully um, it's developing in, into a system, a culture, you could say, for youth sangha in ISKCON. Um, there are lots of pockets of good things happening for youth in different places all over the movement. There's not a collective sense, though, of the youth having an identity, having a space, having empowerment, having facility, the things that we would expect and hope, but just right now aren't there. So this Next Generation Council is kind of a brand and a system that will hopefully aggregate all the good things that are happening and create a breeding ground for more good things to happen. And at the ILS, I gave a presentation titled um, the next generation or the last. Mm. And the, the purport of that, if it needs one, is that as a movement, if we really want to see a society as Srila Prabhupada envisioned, there's no question that we must take care of our youth and that the time is not on our side anymore, that we've, we've kind of fettered away um, several generations now and if, if we're able to have the vision of somebody that looks at a seed and they can see a forest, we've really lost a lot of forest um, that could have brought, you know, oxygen, so to speak, to the uh, earth, which needs it a lot. So our communities and the, the world in general need us to take care of our children in a way that we haven't stepped up to the plate to do yet. And so I was emphasizing that at the ILS and to a very receptive, um, in one way it was kind of preaching to the choir that many devotees were empathizing and and sympathizing with what I was pointing out. Mm. Perhaps the the unique thing I shared was maybe the social dynamic that's prevented us up until this point of being able to capitalize on what everybody recognizes, which is that it's important to take care of the youth. And so some insights that I've had over the, the few years of being one of the few people to start, young people to start a project in the West since the early days of the movement, seeing the dynamic between the older generation, what their concerns are, the younger generation, what their concerns are being one of them, and how to harmonize those two in an effective way. I shared some insights and they're appreciated. Hmm. Yeah, just the 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 need for that uh, communication. I mean, this for this for this podcast, you know, I, I felt it would be very helpful to uh, hear from you because ever since I've known you, um, you know, that you you've embodied for me at least this mood of of outreach and 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 to the extent of even starting a community out there in Ypsilanti, and and I'm seeing kind of what you're what you're speaking to and alluding to is that there is a there's a great need for inreach as well. And that that's an also, that's also an aspect of Sangatana and, and, uh, and how for devotees that are going out and sharing Krishna consciousness for devotees that are going out, sharing Srila Prabhupada's books, how are we, how are we, what what are we coming? What are they coming back to when I'm, (laughs) when I'm going out and sharing Krishna consciousness, what am I coming back to? What am I bringing people to? So, just this need for um, inreach as well as, as an integral part of outreach. Um, 
Could you speak a little bit of how, because like I said, since I've known you, you've really embodied, there's been, you've, I mean, I've known you to be, you know, always out on Harinam, doing a lot of different outreach, a lot of different book distribution, a lot of different festivals. Could you speak a little bit how um, your experience of outreach has kind of led you to this point of putting a little bit more emphasis or focus on inreach? Sure. Um, yeah, one of my budding realizations is that what we say they need, and they being those who aren't explicitly practicing Krishna consciousness yet, what we say they need is really what we need. <laughs> we being the, mm. those who claim to be devotees, those who are aspiring followers of Mahaprabhu, what we need are down-to-earth practical experiences of the shelter of relationships with each other and without that shelter and practical willingness to exchange vulnerability and create interdependent frameworks relationally financially socially uh, locationally all those things then we're just going to continue to have this very shallow superficial haribol expression of Mahaprabhu's actually very deep movement Mahaprabhu began the movement and he ended the movement punctuated by internal experiences, you know, Sri Vasangam, those nocturnal kirtans, and then the last 12 years in the Gambira, Mahaprabhu sandwiched the, the preaching in the external way um, of the Nagar Sankirtan and the, the six years as a traveling sannyasi. He sandwiched that with substantial internal experience that, um, yeah, rounded, what's the word, that coalesce brought all that together you know anchored it to something deep and substantial and we in my experience um so we we began the harmony collective project in 2012 the same year that we began helping ram roy prabhu and the uh, devotees who now are um serving in this flourishing harinam ashram in new york city and the four years that I was going back and forth about once a month, I would go for a week or two weeks to New York to support those devotees in the early days before there was a lot of facility and, and now a very strong brahmachari ashram there. What I saw was that there is a cap on how many people are going to feel comfortable participating in that context of Sankirtan um, out on the street day in and day out um, distributing Srila Prabhupada's books directly to strangers, that kind of very, you could say, down-to-home classic expression of Sankirtan has been idolized in our movement, and not unrightly so. It's joyful. Anybody that's done it knows it works. Also, I, I disagree with anybody, that, and there are, unfortunately, people that say it doesn't work. I disagree with those people. I think our conception, though, of, of how it works and why it works um, can shift because it did for me and it's been effective. I stopped seeing that as the way to make devotees as much as I see that down, you, you could say classic Sankirtan approach as the way to keep devotees. That when those of us who are already following Mahaprabhu and Prabhupada agree to go out and make that declaration of faith in a very simple public way, then it does more for us mm -hmm. than it does for others. And that's okay. That's actually a good thing that we're out there reminding each other that this is what it's about and we're going to do this whether somebody else likes it or not because many are going to not appreciate it the way we would want or expect and and that's okay 
some are too. And so it's not that it doesn't create attraction and, and generate the agyata sukriti that we hear about, but that may not be the only reason to do it. And in fact, for ourselves at the Harmony Collective, mm -hmm. we often talk about it as a community building experience. Now, Sankirtan is the best team building experience, and we should look to see it as a way to connect with each other as much, if not more, than a way to connect with those who haven't met Mahaprabhu and Prabhupada yet. And so then on the other side, if that's not the space mm. where we're going to reach out and connect, how are we going to do that? Because that's an important thing to do, or if it's not the only way we will. And so mm. something else I've kind of been telling myself is that we need to blow up the bridge. This, um, this pejorative mm. term of bridge preaching has, we've really, we've cut ourselves off at the knees, literally, in terms of the impact that we could have in society at large with this pejorative term that we use on our own people who are, are making sincere efforts to connect with people in honest, down-to-earth ways. And we say that they're doing some kind of bridge preaching, which is to say that they're doing something which is not actually real preaching, but something maybe that will one day become real preaching. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I would like to blow up that bridge in favor of another simple tool, which is a fulcrum that we need to mm -hmm. learn how to leverage the trust that people have already in us because Krishna consciousness is, is really about trust. And I like to use that word trust rather than faith, because faith is this kind of ineffable, ethereal, intangible idea that, especially in a religious institution, quickly becomes something abstract. Where trust is something mm. down to earth, right? I trust that bridge, <laughs> for instance, mm. that I can walk across that and it will support me. So people who are our family members, people who are our friends, people who are our co-workers, who children play on the same soccer team as ours these people have some implicit trust in us and in the name of uh, being embarrassed by bridge preaching or that it's not enough i'm not i'm not handing them a bhagavad-gita directly or whatever the case may be we've actually lost so much leverage um, so much trust that they would have naturally had in us to be able to share in a slow but steady and effective way krishna consciousness so helping our own people feel educated and inspired to take the long, steady, but worthy approach of developing those relationships of trust that they're naturally having. Not that they have to go out and you know grab a random stranger's hand, but just slowly develop that connection with people that are already in their lives. That's yeah. something that we're beginning to uh, conceptualize and implement uh, at the Harmony Collective. And uh, you know of this project, Each One Carry One that we have um, that that's very much in the mood of supporting that kind of growth for our whole society. Could you, uh, I, there's a few things that came to my mind as you were just speaking. There's one kind of uh, profound experience that's etched in my memory. I remember I was uh, spending the first week of Kartik one year at the Harmony Collective. And in the morning program, we read from Nectar of Instruction and in Nectar of Instruction, there's that purport where Srila Prabhupada says this, this ISKCON movement is built upon love and trust for mm. the purpose of love and trust. Mm. And, yeah, and so just, just appreciating this paradigm that how, how do we expand love and trust mm. uh, into all the fields of our life? And, 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 and I'm also appreciating this, this idea of getting rid of this kind of uh, you know, the word that's been connotated with, with, uh, 
something and negative, that, something ugly. Something negative, yeah, this idea of bridge preaching. And I'm just thinking yeah. recently, like, you know, there's the podcast that um, Raghunath Prabhu and Kashtuba Prabhu are doing, The Wisdom of the Sages, where they're reading directly Bhagavatam, right? Yeah. And, and then, if you know, last episode or a few episodes ago, we heard from those devotees that you spoke of in the New York Harinam Ashram and, and their book distribution, right? And how... These devotees are distributing entire CC sets and Srimad Bhagavatam sets on the street. People giving $1,000 on the street for an entire set of Srila Prabhupada's books. And the, uh, the hesitation that's kind of been inculcated with this idea of bridge preaching, whereas really it's how do I frame my genuine experience of Krishna consciousness with yeah. love and trust as, as right. the border. You know what I mean? Like love and trust is the container. And that's what I'm that's what I'm framing Krishna consciousness in. Yeah, something I spoke about at ILS um, in that presentation about the next generation or the last was this idea of the the D days of ISKCON. Mm. Um, and D Day is a famous day in American history, world history, that um, the Allied powers headed by the Americans, they stormed the beach at Normandy, right? Mm. The famous beach in France, the Germans had occupied literally all of Europe. And so the allied forces, they needed some turf. And so to get some turf, they stormed the beach at Normandy and it was every man for himself. And so many died, but some didn't. And they were able to establish literal physical territory that belonged to the allied powers that then allowed them to strategically implement all the other elements of the war strategy that eventually defeated the Germans. Mm. So when we look back to the D-Days of ISKCON, that Haribo let it all hang out on the streets approach was essential because mm. we didn't have any turf. <laughs> we literally had no turf. Maya had everything. And so to reclaim something for Krishna and Prabhupada physically, his uh, immediate um, Diksha disciples, they gave everything physically, mentally, emotionally, and their sacrifice needs and ought to be revered forever. At the same time, to try to recreate that effort or to superimpose that um, approach as the only approach that's effective for time immemorial going forward is actually a disservice to those whose sacrifice was essential at that time. Mm. It's a disservice because they did that so we could do, in one sense, more than what they did. In the sense that we now can impact on a level they weren't able to. They didn't have the privilege of a vegan movement that included literally tens of millions of people. They didn't have uh, an, a circumstance in American culture where 45 plus percent of people think of yoga and meditation in a favorable way. And we can certainly give them credit for that, you know, um, realization budding in society at large. But now how are we taking advantage of it? Is it still by storming the beach at Normandy? Or do we have the sophisticated strategies of a military that Srila Prabhupada said that we were to continue the advance in the war on Maya in a way that will actually impact on the, the level that Srila Prabhupada would have expected? And so in the name of, you know, idolizing the D-Days, we're actually doing a disservice to the sacrifice those devotees made. Mm. And yeah, and this idea of, of, of cutting off the yagya, 
right? That that, mm. that there's an, there's an opportunity for the yogi to expand. As Grace Vaisheshwaru talks about when doing book distribution, it's twenty, it's it's eighty percent kind of like what's familiar and what's established, and then there's this there's this exploration aspect, right? Mm. To to dynamically arrive and show up at the changing circumstances of society and be able to present Krishna. I mean, for instance, now, I mean, this is a great example. As, as we speak, the entire world is facing the threat of this pandemic. And, and already so many countries have been, have, are locked down completely. New York City itself is locked down completely. So, you know, in one sense, uh, devotees are being asked to approach the situation <laughs> of sharing Krishna consciousness from a uh, completely different way mm. because it doesn't yeah, stop it, no and is, is Krishna consciousness dependent on some circumstance or is it dependent on the consciousness of those that have it and their willingness to give it mm. yeah so I'm in and, and, and this you mentioned briefly also and I well, I don't want to change subjects too much because I do kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into this because this is something that devotees listening to this podcast, at least in the next few weeks, you know, mm. possibly possibly longer, this is going to be a situation that's fresh. Mm. Um, but in terms of how can we how can we cultivate the Sankirtan spirit even right yeah. now when when a lot of countries are being locked down the, the well, social distancing yes. is being encouraged, so many things like that. Something that I've learned from living in Michigan is that it's beautiful to embrace the seasons. Mm. And this is something that other devotees who live in other places like California or Florida or India, they appreciate when they come to our space. Um, one senior devotee in our community, he says, when the snow is falling, the Shastra is falling. <laughs> <laughs> and Hare Krishna, if if the world is on lockdown and you still have this itch, this like need to go out and, and give Krishna consciousness, maybe it's deeply sincere and maybe also it's a fear of your own lack of Krishna consciousness that if you did value your day with Krishna in terms of attentive japa and absorbed reading, and sweet dealings with the devotees, you might not have much to value because you don't know how to do that yet. So for many, I would say that this time is an opportunity. If, if, if there ever was one, you have every excuse literally in the world to just take a few weeks, sit with your japa, sit with the Bhagavatam, sit with another devotee and try to go deep. Something Ayindra Prabhu says that I, I like a lot. Don't try to go high, try to go deep. That's what Krishna consciousness is about. And if you if you do go deep, you know, this this happened to me, um, similar situation. There was you may have remembered three years ago this was like catastrophic eclipse. Everybody knew about it. Everybody, devotees, non devotees, everyone alike. They knew about the eclipse, and of course, uh, those of us that know something about astrology, devotee culture in general, we understand eclipse means inauspicious. And so it was the first time in my life that I took the opportunity to sit and read Bhagavatam for more than two hours. So I sat and read Bhagavatam straight for three hours. Mm. And I picked a specific section. It was the section where Jai and Vijay offend the four Kumaras. And my three-hour absorption in the Bhagavatam relieved me of a, of a very deep concern that I'd had about 
um, some devotees and their dealings and what was happening in my service to it. It was, it was a long-standing issue in my devotional life. And that three hours of Srimad Bhagavatam totally took it off, off my back and, mm. and liberated me, literally, to allow me to go back out again and preach to people conviction and and with that mood yeah please come do what i'm doing not because i have to say that to you so that i feel good about myself at least enough to go eat the chapatis at the end of the night but mm-hmm. that i really think that there's something valuable for you here to have an experience of and i want you to connect to it and so i'm here to to make that opportunity for you that kind of vigor came back to me from that three hours with the bhagavatam so that was one of the experiences that catalyzed for me this recognition of what we need is uh, what they need is what we need and what we need is what they need and to to take the opportunity to go deep when krishna is giving it so that's really what i would say don't okay if you do some book distribution on facebook live or whatever haribo but sit down with the bhagavatam for three hours and i think you'll find that um that's as valuable if not more Mm. yeah this this kind of this this theme that that i often observe when discussing with the devotees about sangratan and and just kind of the the holistic picture of it is that there's this inescapable relationship between outreach and inreach and i I love how you articulate it that what they need is what we need and uh and when there is this kind of uh open invitation (laughs) from from the from Providence. Yeah. Uh, you know, when the to, snow is falling, the Shastra is calling. <laughs> when the, yeah. When the virus is out, get the I don't know, get the get <laughs> dust off the Bhagavatam and yeah, be able to be able to hear and chant. And because because then as 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 uh, as Grace Vashishkabu spoke about in our first episode, there's this overflow that will naturally come out. Then you, like, as you said, you went mm. out with conviction. You're like, I'm, mm. I'm actually experiencing something. And you, you can also come experience this. Whereas if I'm not experiencing that, then theoretically I'm going out and I'm saying, theoretically, you could also experience something more dynamic than what you're doing. But unless my, my experience is also more dynamic than what everyone else in the world is doing or attempting yes. to do, yes. what, what am I really sharing? Yes. You're, you're sharing membership to an institution, right? That come be a part of this club. This is what we do at this club. And it's different from that club, not because it's different in the fundamental experience, but because we wear different clothes and we eat different food and we read different books. And that's what makes us different mm-hmm. rather than having the actual differentiated experience of a relationship with Krishna. So in, in the famous verses of Shuman Bhagavatam that Prabhupada includes in his prayers, marking in Bhagavad Dharma, um, my favorite little snippet from there is Bhagavat Tattva Vigyanam, that mm. Mukta Sangasya Jayate, that when you actually have experienced the knowledge, Bhagavat Tattva Vigyan, that realized knowledge, scientific, Srila Prabhupada translates, then Mukta, then you are liberated. Then there's no question of intellectual adjustment, as Prabhupada says in his famous purport to the, the Maha Mantra there in the Happening album. It's, mm. it's not about intellectual adjustment you've eaten a meal now you don't need a certificate for that meal to use his divine graces um, example and how many of us are sitting down to a meal before we go out on sankirtan um or again how many kind of going back to the each one carry one principle and, and bridge preaching in the name of not being able to for whatever reason we, we won't even discuss the idea of not being able to 
but for whatever reason, one doesn't go out every day with a rolly book bag full of Bhagavad Gita's or sitting down in New York City for six hours of Harinam day in and day out. If we can't do that, then we can't do anything. This um, very sad idea that Sankirtan is limited to that kind of experience um, has really, again, cut us off at the knees. And so when you sit down with the Bhagavatam or have a real experience of the Holy Name, you start to get an itch. <laughs> you have to satisfy by sharing it. It's, it's, it. It imposes itself upon your consciousness in such a way that you must share it with somebody. Um, where does Krishna talk about happiness in the Bhagavad Gita? Um, kata ruchi, that it comes when we're speaking uh, the, the verse is escaping me, help me out. Tusyanticha Ramanticha, that that happiness, that satisfaction and pleasure, Ramanti, the only place Krishna talks about happiness in the whole Gita is where mm. the Bodhayantas Parasparam, that the devotees are preaching to one another. So when we sit and relish our own realizations by chewing on them and sharing them with others, whether it's people that have Kundimala around their necks already or not, that's where the real nectar is. And Krishna will decide who gets to be a part of that um, communication in the ultimate sense. But if we're doing it faithfully and diligently, no matter if we're a brahmachari or businessman, that's where the real nectar is at. Hmm. Yeah, being able to overcome the conception that I can't do it all, so I can't do anything. Hmm. And, yeah. and to... And and this, I guess this, that's actually a good moment, I think, to kind of break into a little bit more of each one carry one. You've mentioned it a few times, and to those that may not be familiar with this program, what what is, and you, you've kind of expressed the heart of it, the heart of it is that, you know, based upon this network of trust that we naturally have with the world around us, yeah. being being prepared to to share our experience but could you speak a little bit more about this I, this this practice of each one carry one that we that devotees can be encouraged with sure it it was born way back after my first trip to the dom um i was coming back from mayapur this is back in 2012 it just got initiated and I was feeling moted out and disappointed and sad. I was leaving the Dom. I'd only been in India two weeks, just long enough to want to stay, you know. How that is. <laughs> and uh, so I'm in the transit in Germany, and we're, you know, that like weird security that they make you go through before you get on your next plane? It's like I've mm -hmm. already gone through security, and it was a long line, and I was just like moted out. <laughs> but I was there in my dhoti, and I was shaved up, and I had a uh, T-lock on. And so this guy in the middle of taking off his shoes and like if you had a hundred people lined up and you were going to approach, you get to choose like the order in which you approach each of these hundred people to distribute them one of Prabhupada's books. This guy would be like down in the 90th percentile in terms of like, <laughs> the last people that, you know, he's like overweight, balding, American looking businessman. And he's leaning over, putting his loafers back on. And he says, are you wearing that stuff? Cause you're like spiritual. <laughs> and my, you know, my one word dismissive answer, like, yes, uh, I'm really glad to see you because I've been having such a hard, and he just like starts to give me like a purport, you know, like of how he's a, a, a jet set businessman, he's successful, but he's unhappy. And so I'm still like cold to him. And then he, I just, you know, kind of like one word answers. And then he asked me directly, do you have a book or something that I could get from you? Because I really just, I'm looking for some answers. <laughs> and that was the one thing I didn't want to hear from him <laughs> because I did have one book with me. 
so I, I had my Bhagavad Gita and it was this special Bhagavad Gita that I was going to, you know, I had this idealized idea of keeping it my whole life, you know, my first time in the Dom, <laughs> my, my Gita that I got in the Dom initiation, you know, you romanticize things. And this guy, you know, asked me for a book directly. And so I knew I had to give him my special Bhagavad Gita and I did it begrudgingly, but totally understanding, you know, this is Krishna forcing me to do some service for him, even though I literally don't want to. And I give the guy my, my nice new Gita and he hands me all the money in his wallet, which is like 40 something euros, you know, so like 60, $70 American donation for my, you know, 200 rupees Bhagavad Gita. And there I stood with that in my hand thinking to myself, I should have Prabhupada's books with me all the time. Because even though I didn't want to give this guy a book, even though I had no interest in speaking to him, even though he had a lot of interest speaking to me, still, because Prabhupada and Krishna were with me in the form of these transcendental literatures, I was able to be engaged in their service. And that's something that I should avail myself of all the time. So I went back and forth at times in my devotional life, doing it and not doing it, having several other similar experiences like this. And finally, a friend and I, a few friends, Siddhari Prabhu, myself, another devotee named Muhammad, he, we, we all got together and created this website, uh, Jaini Thai Prabhu. Yeah, several devotees there at the Harmony Collective. And we put it together, each one carry one. Very simple idea that everybody who considers themselves a follower of Srila Prabhupada, it's, it's just irresponsible. It's like silly not to carry with us a few of Srila Prabhupada's books, a little bit of Krishna Prashadam, a few mantra cards or temple cards, and to be ready to offer those to whomever we may connect with that would be ready to receive them. And I've, I've never met a devotee that doesn't have a sad story about a time where they wish they had a book. They wish they had a mantra card with them. They wish they had some prashad, and they didn't. And imagine a couple hundred, a couple thousand such exchanges every year happening in North America, happening in Europe, happening in Australia, where it's not that this person was kind of snapped out of their... Um, material stupor for a few moments and then allowed to go back in from a, a charismatic book distributor but just in a very natural way somebody who's kind of already in their life mm -hmm. is handing them something transcendental and then that person sees them the next day <laughs> and the next day and the next day because they're co-workers or because they're soccer moms together or because that's life circumstance that they have some relationship and now they have the relationship also this transcendental exchange of Prabhupada's books Krishna's prashadam so that's a habit I've I've made we've made a, a small website where people can sign up each one carry one.com you can see uh, little stories uh, of devotees who've had some success some excitement um, just a little also anecdote and, and a tip for carrying prashadam with you I've started to carry Maha Narsinga oil um, rather than any kind of edible, um, only because it's calorie-free, free, it's gluten-free, it's hypoallergenic, it's vegan, <laughs> ostensibly organic, it's vegan, it's all of the things, it checks all the, the boxes or none of the boxes. And I nobody says no to a little essential oil these days. You just tell them you want some blessed essential oil. And 
even if they want to say no, because you're unscrewing the cap and you're reaching over to their hand, they just, <laughs> it's, like, it's like a handshake. They just lift their hand up into the oil. So I had a, there was a shop owner in Ypsilanti. I was, it's like this kind of like uh, LBGTQ dollar store only in Ypsilanti, Hare Krishna. And so at this um, LGBTQ dollar store, the owner, um, I gave her some nursing oil and she sniffed it and she started freaking out and running around to every person in her store, having them smell her hand because she wow. was so enamored with the smell of nursing oil. So it's the prashadam that distributes itself also that anybody that smells it uh, gets the benefit. So if you're a little nervous about carrying around or you, it's cumbersome or whatever, you don't want to hand people food, then a little blessed essential oil with all the um, doTERRA salespeople out there, we, essential oil is a well-understood and beneficial concept these days. So it's a simple way to keep prashadam with you and distribute it to everyone. Yeah, each one carry one. And it just poises you to anticipate Krishna's mercy, which is the real thing from the old days that we should all want to get back to. Not that we should all want to sleep on a floor with 40 other people. Not that we should all want to be rationed 17 chickpeas or whatever the situations were back then. <laughs> all glories to the sacrifice of those devotees, but they did that so we don't have to. But what we do have to do is somehow or other figure out how to have what they had in the sense that every day they anticipated the magic and the mercy of Srila Prabhupada and Krishna mm -hmm. coming into their life through the opportunity to serve. And so when you have the books with you, when you have the prashadam with you, there's that anticipation. Even if you're standing at the, the line in the bank or at the TSA security checkpoint at the airport, there's still that sense that you can do something for Krishna when the books and the prashadam are with you. So please, it's our humble or not so humble request that if you're a follower of Srila Prabhupada, why not have a few of those things uh, everywhere you go? Mm. Yeah, powerful, powerful. Just be, I mean, just, just, just being in the right place at the right time, expecting Krishna's mercy, expecting that Krishna magic. And if uh, I've, I've heard it often said, and, and it's often a meditation that I have that Mahaprabhu is just waiting for someone to volunteer. And, uh, <laughs> and just by putting Srila mm -hmm. Prabhupada's books in our bag, we're volunteering. And uh, and it can be as simple as that. And as His Grace Vaisheshkabhu often says as well, we just have to touch the pavement, right? Because some devotees, I think we have this this opportunity that we all have to just show up and and to be able to uh, wherever we're at, we we are equipped uh, with with Srila Prabhupada's books, and 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 it's been made so easy for us by the sacrifice yeah. of so many devotees. And, and I think capitalizing on that opportunity, on that privilege that we all have, um, is profound. And so, yeah, thank you for, thank you for articulating in such a nice way that, that, that devotees can take and, and, and carry with them, that each one of them mm -hmm. can carry one. Um, but, but, you know, specifically this, this, this guiding principle of, of, yeah, wherever I go, let me have some prashadam. Let me have some of Srila Prabhupada's books. And, and and we'll see what happens when Krishna inevitably shows up. Okay. Mm. Yeah, it's it's so enlivening and it's liberating and it's a, a testament to the the philosophy that we say we espouse, which is that it, anybody can do it. The um, mm. Korma Brahmana, we, we know that Mahaprabhu told him to stay put 
And in meditating on that, I often consider that it's it's not because Karma Brahmana wasn't fit to go with Mahaprabhu, but quite the opposite. It's that he was such a fit and respected member of that community as a Brahmana, a part of the main temple's, you know, ecclesiastical board, so to speak, using a modern term, he was well respected. And if he took to the Krishna consciousness process, then many others would recognize it as something valuable. So we need our devotees mm. in boardrooms and in engineering and firms and IT, et cetera, et cetera. We need them to be loud and proud in a way that's appropriate to that atmosphere about their relationship to Mahaprabhu. And so when we stereotype what it means to look like a servant of the Lord, then again, we're cutting ourselves off at the knees and really disenfranchising this opportunity that was uh, laid for us by the sacrifice of those devotees in the early days. Mm. Well, thank you so much, David Madhava. I'm, uh, I'm deeply grateful for your friendship. I'm deeply grateful for the opportunity to speak with you today. And, um, you know, devotees are, uh, the people all around the world are, are facing a very um, unique time in history where, where we're all experiencing this kind of uh panic and, and hysteria of the society around us for different things that are going on. And uh, there's this powerful invitation to dive deep into our practice. And so that, and, and to also, you know, be innovative in how, how are we reaching people? Because then there's going to be a lot of people looking for answers and, uh, and being able to equip ourselves with those answers by, by experiencing them for ourselves. Yeah. So if I if I could just throw something on there, um, yeah, please. When you because you're emphasizing the how, but really, this moment for me is is reminding me why are we trying to reach people? It's because their lives suck, and mm. we have an answer for them. <laughs> and that's what's special about this moment is that they're willing to admit right now, my life sucks. My life mm. is dependent upon so many things I cannot control and I cannot trust. And that really isn't satisfying. That really is disenfranchising. And so why are we reaching people is to help them have something they can trust, something they can touch, something that's theirs. And presenting the Sankirtan experience um, that way is essential now and tomorrow and when the next calamity happens and when it looks like no calamity is happening at all. Mm. Indeed. Well, thank you very much, Deva. Stay safe, and uh, and we'll we'll talk to you soon. Uh, yeah, thanks so much is, for having me. Yeah, this this is again. This is Anandamurari Das, and you're listening to Sangatanan. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your dedication. Please carry this torch of Mahaprabhu uh, wherever you go. And uh, David, would you have any last words to say to devotees out there? Go Ranga. Go Ranga. <laughs> Thank you again for listening to Sankirtan On. Please feel free to subscribe, 
and share with your friends for regular updates and inspirational stories on how, by giving, we grow. Thank you for sharing this time with us. All glories to Sheila Prabhupada.